Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where we talk with people leading creative, outside-the-box spiritual endeavors that inspire and engage us. Our vision is to unfold God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And bring into being Ha'alam Haba, the just world to come. You are listening to the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where faith leaders, activists, or people who simply want to change the world have left the building too, with Marta, Mandy, and Lily. In today's episode, creativity is code word for God. Marta and Lily speak with Rabbi Adina Allen, a spiritual leader, writer, and social innovator. Adina is the co-founder and creative director of the Jewish Studio Project, a Bay Area organization that uses art making as a tool for Jewish learning, self-discovery, and social change. Adina shares how her community uses art to foster interconnection, both in person and online. Hi, Adina. We're so glad that you are with us today, and we're excited to hear about um, your project, outside of the walls of traditional faith communities. And um, yeah, we're really excited to be here in this space and get to know you better. And by the way, for our listeners out there, her background is phenomenal. You can tell that it is um, beautiful um, artwork that was, I'm assuming, done in the Jewish Studio Project. Wonderful. Adina, it's so good to have you here. Um, we would love to start the conversation with you just taking a few minutes to introduce yourself, describe the work you do in the world, um, and we'll go from there. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much to you both for having me. Um, so as you said, my name is Adina Allen. I'm a rabbi and a writer and a spiritual leader and co-founder and creative director of an organization called the Jewish Studio Project. Um, we're in our seventh year as an organization, and our mission is to cultivate creativity as a Jewish practice for spiritual connection and social transformation. And we're really building towards a vision of the world in which every person is connected to the power that is their inherent creativity. And maybe I'll just say like a word about creativity, if that's okay, because I think that word Absolutely. can mean so many things. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one is that our work is based on the belief that every person has an, is inherently creative. Um, and it feels just important to say that. That might be innate, that knowing to some, but I think living in a culture that in so many ways um, cuts us off from our creativity or monetizes our creativity, that it feels important to say, I think um, creativity is sort of the deepest resource of power that we have within ourselves. And we really ground this understanding of creativity as a part of all of us in, in Torah, in the Hebrew Bible, taking the first line of Torah that says, Breshit bara Elohim, in the beginning, God created. Creativity, creation is the first act that gives rise to everything else that comes. And that a few verses later, we read that humans are created, but Selim Elohim, um, in the image of this divine creative force. So that creativity is the seed of this power. It's the place in which we and the divine partner. Um, yeah, sometimes I, I say creativity is code word for God. <laughs> um, that force that is both deep within us and beyond us um, that we can harness and bring what, what's needed into the world through. I love that. I, I think that even for the Christian tradition, um, obviously we um, rely on the Hebrew text as well. And so that beginning creation story is something that we also um, um, 
found ourselves in. And, and, but I do think you're right. Like, I think that idea of creation gets lost um, in our sort of our modern society. And not only I think is it monetized, well, I think that is an excellent word for it. I think that um, we also put standards and judgment on art, right? And um, who is, and I'm using air quotes for our listeners out there, who is good at it and who is not good at it. And so the people who are not good at it then sort of stray way far away from that idea of creativity. Um, And I was just thinking about, I know that um, in our household, um, we are definitely um, untamed creative types, I would say. And my oldest daughter is like, you know, falls into that um, group of people who are what the world says are talented, right? And um, so my husband, who is not in that group (laughs) of people, um, has started to like went to the library and got um, art books and has started to sit at the kitchen table and just start creating art. And and it's actually super cool. And the fact that he's like, I don't care if the world tells me I'm not good at this, I'm gonna sit down and do this. And I'm assuming that's the kind of environment that you have created. Yeah, I love the word that you use, untamed. I think that's so what we need to be doing and, I, and exactly what you said. I think we've decided on sort of anointed group of people who are artists who are deemed you know, talented and which is not to say, I mean, I think the role of artist in society is extremely important and people who have a deep skill and particular um, modes and methods need to bring that into the world. So to say that is really important and um, art material shouldn't be off limits to everyone else, to all of us, right? And I think um, just in the way we're cut off, I think from our bodies, from nature, from things that are innate to us as God willing, if we had, you know, any sort of safety and support as a child as like, young children um, to mature in this society is to basically become cut off from those things, connection to nature, connection to body, connection to creativity. And I think that does a deep disservice to us, to our spirituality and to society as a whole. And um, I was just at a Jewish professional conference the other day and a a colleague led us through a, a sort of short walk in the woods. And then I was leading a creative process, a Jewish studio process program after that. All did that short walk in the woods. Like, you're not going to hike the Appalachian Trail. You were wearing your heels and your, you know, nice suits, but like you did it and it, you don't have to be an expert at it. And that's the same thing with these materials, that they're not only a way to create a product, they're a way to engage in a process that can allow us to more deeply understand ourselves and to connect to something bigger than ourselves and to one another. Yeah, I love that. It's almost like you're creating a space for people to, in some ways, customize and um, create their own journey towards what they understand is the holy, instead of someone actually telling them what the holy looks like, what the how the holy um, shows up in their lives. You're creating this environment where they can create that themselves. And how powerful is that for people? Um, I was, you know, I used to do religious education. That used to be my primary role um, in our congregational life, and I completely was like, we can't do a curriculum. It's too, it's too in the box. Like it's too, um, it's too, as Lily said, like, you know, God can't get, get all the way captured in that box of a curriculum. And so I would 
start off the year with like even having young children, like make this image of God. They're like, well, I don't know what God looks like. Well, create it, get the pastels out, get the watercolors out, get, um, you know, the paper mache out and just start creating um, collages and mosaics. And like, I'm looking at, oh my gosh, the stellar colors behind you right now, Adina, and just start creating. And I'm wondering if it, is it similar to that? Um, yeah, so I was getting, I was like, I'm like getting really into all the <laughs> different modalities that you're just talking about. Um, yeah, something that just came up for me and what you were saying that we talk about a lot is like creative constraints. And what are the appropriate level of constraints? So I heard you talking about a box and we can get two boxed in for sure. And that there's some level, right? How do we find the appropriate level of constraints so that what needs to come through can come through, right? That's what liturgy, God willing, in its best sense can be. That's what the text can be. Mm -hmm. um, how do we find the right thing to hold us in so that like the flow can, can come? And so mm -hmm. for us, um, the methodology that we use, the Jewish studio process, which is built on a methodology that my mom, uh, Pat Allen, who's a leader in the field of art therapy that I grew up using and doing with her, um, that's sort of the creative constraint is like, here's this like, ritual form and now within that ritual form mm -hmm. here can come through what needs to come through in the moment for you and um yeah mm -hmm. oh absolutely and I think as someone who's participated in that process a handful of times with JSP it's been really powerful to say here's a theme here's a teaching here's something to kind of meditate on or bring forth and then just start so being able to say like, put pen to paper, put pastel to paper and see what comes. And I think that that is such a beautiful way of just allowing emergence to happen. And whenever that amount of time is over, you're like, okay, but that, maybe I'll come back to this. Maybe I'll let it be, maybe I'll let it breathe. Um, but that, that creative process was the point. Um, and I think that's really beautiful to lean into process over product. Um, and you know, yeah, it feels very resistive. Marta, were you gonna say something? Oh, I was just going to say, just so you know, my entire ordination paper um, seven years ago was about the container and, and within oh, wow. the container, there is safety. I know. Um, so yeah. I really appreciate that container. Like you're right. It isn't like this complete like free for all because um, then, you know, it, maybe it would go completely outside of the faith community. Right. Um, but I, I appreciate like the idea of having the container of liturgy that feels safe and grounding. And within that, there is lots and lots of freedom. And so I just really connected with that. And it's super interesting that you almost use the exact language that I did in my um, ordination paper. Um, because, you know, I did a very non-traditional ordination paper, I would say. Like I did not. I sometimes, you know, as a little bit more untamed person rules like, get really stressed out. I get really stressed out with lots of rules um, and have a hard time really accessing the divine when there are so many rules. Um, and so I try to create spaces for people to um, have some have some of that stability and a lot of freedom. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions about this Judeo Studio project, by the way. Like, can Lily, can I do that? Can I ask? Can I? Okay, because, you know, um, I'm just loving everything about it. So first of all, like, tell us about, um, like, tell us about it. Like, how was it created? What does it look like? Where is it located? You know, 
like just even logistical things like hours and and you know demographics of people and all of that stuff and the other thing is that i'm curious about because you are rabbi um is um how is it is it connected to a more formal um faith community or is does it stand alone or what is that what is that like sure wow um and i love that was a lot of things yeah, and I love the synergy of the container. And I want to go back to what you said, Lily, just how much you were highlighting, I think, the process of inquiry that's core to this work. That mm -hmm. is both something I think as Jews, we inherit through the process of text study and chavruta, which is that paired model of Beit Midrash, which means house of inquiry. That's what we call where we study text and the process by which we study text. Um, that it's all about inquiring into and seeing what wants to come forth. Mm. Um, yeah, so as I said, I, I really grew up in a studio. It was the biggest room in our house growing up <laughs> in our sort of upwardly mobile suburban town with, you know, manicured lawns and all the things about yourself you couldn't really bring out, you know, into the public sphere. The studio was the place where like all of you could be, where you could be messy, where you could be in process, where you could be questioning, where you could be multiple things at once. And um, so I'm really grateful that that, I don't know that I appreciated it in that way as a child, but in looking back, um, really feel that way. And um, grew up in public, the community studios that my mom and her colleagues um, opened in Chicago called the Open Studio Project. So I sort of grew up in that space and kind of toggling between that space and this like more, you know, buttoned up suburban community. And um, really brought this practice into my rabbinic studies when I was at Hebrew College um, for a couple of reasons. One was, I was so enthralled with the um, practice of text study and the Beit Midrash that I just mentioned and how alive it was. And also felt like the text really stayed, I'm putting my hand by my forehead, like from here up. <laughs> um, and that if we were, as our faculty were, you know, tasking us to be the, um, the people who are gonna help bring forth the new interpretations of texts that are most needed in our day, um, that we needed other ways for those texts to, to touch many parts of who we were and to be engaged with multiple modalities, our multiple ways of knowing, which is now a phrase that I think many of us are familiar with. Um, and I felt like we shouldn't have to bifurcate and do the intellectual thing here and then the spiritual thing over here and the creative thing here. Like, mm -hmm. I think that in so many ways we're seeing this in our world right now, that it's a time for reintegration of things that have been separated. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something many people who come or are part of the Jewish Studio Project community say is like these bifurcated parts of self, artist and scholar, or you know whatever they are, are able to come back together um, in a way that's both healing and where and generative because all those parts can speak to one another. So you were asking about the space. I'm sort of going in a non-linear way, which makes sense, but we have a physical studio space in West Berkeley, California, um, but our national organization and most of our work is now um, virtual. Um, but that studio space is really an installation, like a, a living testament to what we're talking about, where you can enter. We, we talk about studio as sanctuary and talk about how, how can we embody and experience these ideas in a visceral way. And so the studio has like these wild curtains of all different patterns and colors. And it has many bookshelves of both traditional Jewish, you know, rabbinic books next to like queer theory and poetry and art books and all of that is held together. There are marks left up on the wall from many, many, many generations of people who have come through and been standing and painting and left their marks behind. Um, so in that way, the walls almost become a text. 
And then there's found in natural objects and things we've gathered from outside and accumulated over time that are all there to be used. So to me, it's like, how can you really embody and, and get inside of this? So I just wanted to paint that picture. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like you just said so many like rich and important things for all of our faith communities out there. Um, number one, just the way you, you interpreted going to the text and um, bringing it alive for today. That's, you said it so much more articulate than I did. So that was one of the things. The other thing about it that you said was um, definitely the integration between heart and mind and creativity and all of that. Um, let's just stick with that for a minute because I think that in even in our Christian progressive communities, um, we are also, and I'm pointing the tip to the top of my head for our listeners out there, get stuck in that space. And that is um, like in the same way that we monetize art, in the same way that we judge whether something is good or bad, um, we have also made judgment on what, what it means to be um, a good progressive religious person, what it means to be a good ordained person, what it means, and we've made a judgment that that means that you're ultra scholarly and that you think about things. And of course we want people to think about things, right? So um, we don't want it to be absent of any critical thought, um, but, and I'm not gonna say but, and it is the integration, right? Of all of those things that I think we're in a particular moment in time when that has to happen. And of course you were doing that long before that. So you were, you were um, not necessarily, um, is the word progressive, is the, is the word um, you know, forward thinking, or is the word just like you were ahead. You were ahead of the, the, the rest of the world in creating a space to make that sort of thing happen. Um, I don't know. I'm now. I'm just. I know. I'm repeating what you said because it's so great. And also, one last thing is like, why can't all of our sanctuaries be like a studio project? Like, I was just making this visual for our friends out there. Like, imagine a wall in our sanctuary that was like a free for all, and it made these marks and it made these images of the old and the young and teenagers and over the generations and how cool that would be love that i know um well and okay. i think oh and i think rabbi you're, you're speaking already to this interconnection piece and i think that 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 image you just gave of the physical space i think is a great <clears throat> visual to illustrate like the ways that you're bringing together all these disparate, disparate parts um, across a community of, in ourselves, all these things. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more to, yeah, how do you see the connection between fostering interconnection and your religious and spiritual leadership um, through this work? Yeah, totally. Well, there's so much to respond to. Um, but on that question, I think yeah, interconnection and the reintegration, like I think those things kind of go together and that feels like the whole work of this project. And it's felt especially poignant and important during this time of pandemic and being, you know, we used to have people physically in the studio and you just like felt interconnected as you're creating alongside one another and feel their each other's energy. And, um, but it's felt amazing to be able to really feel and lift up the interconnection of like what it means to all be tapping into the same creative source. 
And I think about it as like, we all stand outside and look up at the same moon from the different angles and perspectives that we're on and it shines on all of us and it pulls on all of our, you know, the waters within and without. And I think about the creative source in that way, that it's something that runs through all of us and is a, the like deep well that we are all drawing from. And in that way, we are all connected. Mm. So yeah, that's something I've been thinking about in this time. And, and even just the way you can feel that, I mean, Lily, you've been at programs, but on the screen, even just tilting the screen and seeing each other's hands moving or like seeing each other, you know, deep in thought um, that we can just experience that reminder that um, we are all in that process together. So do, is your doors, like, tell us about, like, is your doors just open? Do people come in? What does that practice look like? What does the ritual of people engaging in this work look like? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, like, what is, I, I want to know, like, how can I come? And, and how yes, can I just show home. up? And <laughs> I know, right? Um, and one of our big UCC churches is in Berkeley. I mean, there's several of them, but there's one that is bigger than the other. And like, I just think they're going to get a kick out of this. I love that. Well, I'd love to meet them in person and to say, I mean, really all of our work is virtual now. So mm -hmm. when we used to be able to have, you know, 20 people max in our studio space, we have, you know, between 60 and 120 people in our monthly community program um, called Have You Made Art About It Yet? Which takes that this question that my mom would ask me as a kid growing up when I'd come to her with a problem and she would just say, well, have you made art about it yet? Like go to the studio and you can, the answers exist within you and also can be sort of come through you if you can open yourself to them and art is a way of doing that. Um, so anybody can come, we have a, this monthly community program and it's really grown over the last two years. And there are folks, I mean, we just did something for a, a professional development program for a group of like uh, Unitarian Universalist ministers. I know some of them come to that program. Um, the teachings come and are grounded in mostly the Hebrew Bible, but that's something that's the foundation, whether you're religious or not, I think it's the foundation of so much of Western thought, whether we acknowledge it or not. And so we're really trying to um, reclaim and re-inject, resurface the creativity and the beauty that is in those stories and the generativity that I think through so many different layers of translation have been muddied or lost. Um, and then access that, that creativity within and cross-pollinate ideas. So you are welcome and would love anyone to come and join us. Those programs are free of charge and open to everyone. So there's always um, a tech study component and the creative process component and some sort of sort of ritual holding and framing. Amazing. What do, like are, what do the rituals look like? Well, the rituals are, I mean, there's a number of rituals. One is just the container of the process itself, which has a set structure. Um, so it begins with uh, framing, then it goes into paired text study, this chevruta process, that word I used before, it's a word that comes from Aramaic, which means um, to bind together. And so in Jewish tradition, we think of the practice of text study as a way that we bind ourselves to ourselves, to our learning partner, to ancestors, to the divine. It's like a connective sort of, as you were asking before, Lily, that interconnection, it's a, a practice of reweaving those threads of interconnection. We come back together and have a group short discussion where people sort of popcorn ideas of what arose for them. Um, so it's really a collective inquiry practice, not just a solo or even just a paired. And then we move into the rest of the steps of the process. So next step is intention setting. So often that's taking a word or a phrase from the text or something that arose from us from the text that we want to inquire further into through creative process. 
Um, and then we move into usually 20 minutes of working with materials, anything we have on hand. There's music that's holding the shared space. And the, the prompt for that is really to go to a place of pleasure, of pleasure and play. So that we're not necessarily illustrating what our question is or illustrating what came out in the text, although that may be what you wanna do, but really it's about um, a somatic experience of accessing pleasure. You know, we learn from so many who come before us. I mean, Audre Lorde, Adrian Marie Brown more recently and others about the power of pleasure. And I think that when we're in a state of pleasure, we can open ourselves for God to come to us and through us. And so that's really the goal of the creative process there. And then there's a practice of witness writing, of witnessing something we're very familiar with in faith communities of witnessing what came through, through a writing practice. And then a ritual process of people reading one or two lines with no extrapolation, no explanation. We don't have to understand why or what, but just reading sort of the, the testimony, I would say almost that came through in that process. And we each sort of witness each other. We put our hands to the screen to say that we have, we have heard and then we, we close the process. So is this just for adults? So that's one question. Or do you have young people coming on? And would you say that this, um, your community, is it a set community? Um, like, like a synagogue, like a temple that is, that people, that that's their place, like that's their spiritual home? Um, or is it just an open flowing group of people? Say yes to both those things. Um, <laughs> In terms of children, I mean, people are welcome at, at any age who want to participate in this. Also, often people, especially during the pandemic, had kids at home, and so they'd have their kid next to them with them doing the parts that the, the child was able to or wanted to do. Um, and I would say we have a number of folks in our training program who are interested in really bringing this work to children. Um, I feel like for our part as an organization, because this is such a new and sort of radical idea that early on when we were just sort of getting our grounding, everyone would just say to us, you should just do this with kids. This would be a great bar and bat mitzvah project. You should make mezuzahs with children. And while I think making mezuzahs with children is a beautiful thing to do, um, it was hard to get across like, no, no, this is for you. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I think because of the vulnerability that is asked mm -hmm. and because of all the shame many of us feel as adults around creativity, it was just like, oh, great, I'll send my seven-year-old or I'll, you know. Right, and it's also, you know, the way we've been socialized. I mean, I've come, you know, a million times I've, I do some sort of radical storytelling and creativity in, in my um, worship spaces. And I think many of the times people are like, well, this is for young people. Like I totally get that. Um, and I, it, I mean, maybe it's shame around creativity. Maybe it's just like literally the way we've been socialized to, um, you know, to be this certain way and to expect and want um, people to behave in a certain way. It's the, it's the tamed, right? It's what Glennon Doyle talks about when we're tamed. Um, and in some ways you're creating a space for the untamed adult and to like go, to go into this place that you don't have to be a certain way. You don't have to behave a certain, like you can just completely be broken open. Um, yeah, I just feel your pain around that with kids. And I didn't mean to bring it up so much. It was Ooh, just a sort of a pain. curiosity for me of like, yeah. what does the diversity of your community look like? 
Yeah, no, it's not a, it's not pain at all. I mean, I think my calling is, is with adults and I think it's beautiful folks, you know, the open studio process, which is the core of what we've built on and added the Beit Midrash, the Chavruta and the tech study component to that my mom brought into the world. That process is being used all over the world in all kinds of, I mean, in India, in Taiwan, in Mexico, in immigrant communities, in professional communities, in, you know, all with children, like, so I think the, the core of the process can be used with anyone anywhere for any purpose. Um, this is just sort of where our focus is. And I would say to your other question, like, yes and yes, I think it is the community where people feel their spiritual home. And I think many people are also part of many other spiritual communities, which I sort of think is how it should be. <laughs> um, I don't think any community can or should provide every single spiritual need that people have. And I often say, I actually just went back to the synagogue I grew up at in the Chicago suburb, which is really beautiful to return to when I brought some of this work there. Um, and I said how grateful I feel to the two rabbis who and the cantor who are the clergy team there, that they're doing like the life cycle rituals and the, you know, the shiva calls, you know, when someone dies and the community care, like the daily and weekly needs of a community, like, I don't think I could do the work that I do if other people weren't tending to that work. And so I think the ecosystem of us all is what's so important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I really hear like tuning into what can I uniquely offer? What feels nourishing to me? What feels like bringing together, right? Creativity, Jewish text, expression, unlocking what's possible for adults, like all those things together. And I think there's like so much power in being able to say specifically, this is what is nourishing to me. And specifically, this is what I can do. And trusting that there are enough of us to do that ecosystem of work um, and that ecosystem of meaning making and care and just leaning into abundance in that way. And so I just find it really powerful to be able to stand and say like, this is what I can offer um, in all of its beauty and vulnerability and clarity and, and trusting that there's there's enough of us um, to do the rest of the work. Um, so just witnessing that back is something I find really, really um, affirming and powerful. Um, I don't know if you would name it as this, um... I mean, so I have, I have a couple of questions and I'm just going to like put them out there. Um, but like how many men are doing this with you? Because, <laughs> because I mean, I'm, I'm doing some doctoral work around feminist approaches um, to um, specifically to Christian worship. But of course, like it spills out into so many other, I mean, basically it's just a feminist approach to the world. Let's just be honest. Um, because <laughs> what you bring to the spiritual space is you're going to bring to other spaces as also. And I really feel like you're doing that, like it, and I want to name it. Like this is very specifically a feminist approach. I mean, we see it in the in the Hebrew text over and over again with these amazing women who are doing things outside of the traditional um, religious space in the ancient world. And you're you're doing it. And I don't know if you can speak into that a little bit because I love those ladies so much. Like I've actually spent so much time looking at those texts and looking at those women. Um, and because I think that they, if, if those stories were told above all the other stories, what would our religious space look like, right? Would we have more of the Jew Jewish studio projects, right? Would we have more spaces like that if those stories were 
the predominant mm. sacred text that we taught our young people. Um, yeah, I think that's, I want to read more of your doctoral work. That sounds really exciting. Um, and I would love to just get to explore more of the ways, you know, similar things are happening in the Christian world, because I know less about that, but that feels really generative and exciting. Um, I think, yeah, yes. And it's like, not just about, for me, like the stories of the women, but like exactly what you're saying, like a feminist or like a reintegration and a recombination of all the different gender ways of, and, you know, a reconstituting of that. Um, I think we have this like feminine and masculine, and I think we all know it's like beyond that, but those are the words we have for now. <laughs> and I see you nodding. Yeah. Um, so when I say feminist, I actually don't even mean like men can be, have a feminist of course. approach, right? Um, yeah. So I'm not trying to be binary about it, but like, how can we make it more holistic? Totally. And I think it's like, for me, that's like this, one of the projects we're working on is a Torah of creativity. And so to me, it's like, creativity, feminist, ecological, like all those things are kind of wrapped in together. Um, Non-binary, queer, like all of those things, like that lens on Torah and how can we lift that up like everywhere that it is. So for instance, I spend a lot of time thinking about the second, a couple, a few words later in the in the opening of the creation narrative that the Haaretz Haita Tohu Vavohu, that the earth was chaos and void and how much um, the interpretations of text have been oh no, there was nothing there, right? Creation ex nihilo, like the world came from nothing. God created with nothing. God didn't need anything. God is so powerful that God could create from nothing. And to me, I'm like, a feminist approach to that is like, let's lift up like A, there were raw materials there as there always are. And we are creating with what's on hand and we're creating with the darkness and the chaos and the void within us and within the world. And that that doesn't need to be tamed or... Um, bracketed or made boundaries against it needs to be engaged and worked with and transformed and so to me so just an example of like yes to Rebecca and Rachel and Leah and Devorah and all the women and yes to um, how can we bring this lens to every phrase and every word and sort of resurface what's been lost mm -hmm. yeah no thank you for that yes yeah yeah and I think that that also brings that brings out the like we're not trying to create something that's like pure or inherently like there, there's something about like the messiness that exists within all of us and within our relationships and within unknowing and mystery that I think that naming that it's all there at once creates so much more ease and grace and being able to really emerge into what needs to be there um, because like we're never one thing. And so being able to say multiple things are true at once there are, there's intensity and there's ease and there's beauty and there's joy and there's fear all at once. I think the more that that can be kind of held as raw material, as you're saying, um, I'm really excited about what that might create in our relationships, in our communities, in justice work, um, and what might be unlocked through that. I love that. And I feel like we have, all of us have like Psalms, right? Hold that so powerfully. <laughs> like, um, there's like the happiness and the joy and the loss and like it's all wrapped in together um and the, I just want to say one other thing Lily on what you said um which is I think that's also where like science I think that's where everything is moving towards right like a tree isn't I just I'm obsessed with Merlin Sheldrake's Entangled Life if anyone has yeah. read that 
Um, but like a tree isn't just a tree as we're taught, like there's the roots and the leaves, like a tree is intimately constituted with the fungal mycelial network that allows it to live and that teaches it how to grow roots and that brings nutrients and that it gives nutrients too. And so to say that any organism is like a separate individual organism, right? Even ourselves, the microbes, like the many things that constitute who we are and exist on us and within us. And so I think, yeah, even lifting up that about, you were asking about interconnection before, but just reminding ourselves <laughs> that this is true, right? Telling a new story that has always been there. It just hasn't been the one we've been lifting up. Right. It's like a process of remembering. Like we, it's all right there. It's just lifting up to, to make sure we, we remember. Yeah. So we had a little bit of a interconnection conversation on Sunday, by the way, I brought some of our work that we've been doing this season to that space with my people. And um, we did a Psalm and it, I was, I sort of um, talked about how in some ways it's a creation remembrance Psalm um, in which has not been really interpreted that way by I think traditional and more conservative Christians, but I'm like, we're going with this because I'm all about this interconnection. Anyway, so I had my, um, I had my young person, younger person who um, sometimes leads worship with me and um, we do, it's called a words of wonder. Um, and it's really to engage really um, intentionally um, the whole community, the young and the old, um, and sort of thinking about things for themselves. Anyway, this is going to be the silliest story. So Mandy might want to edit it out, but I just, you, when you talked about trees, because trees are so communal, right? And so that not, not only, and I loved what you said, like they take nurturing, nurturing, nourishment and they give it right. And they're all connected. And, um, so she asked, how are you connected to other beings other than humans. And um, so we got a few of those answers. And then I was like, I, I really connect to the language um, of trees. I, there's this language that they're speaking and, um, and just being aware of that connection and, you could just see some people cocking their heads, like, what are you actually talking about, Marta? But um, trees are, anyway, I, I just wanted to tell that story because like there is this language that we can tap into, um, not only in ourselves and not only in our, um, in other humans, but like also in, in the oceans and the waves and the trees. Um, I mean, trees are especially special to me, but um, in other animals, living animals, and there's this language. And I think that's what you in some ways are trying to um, help people access is that there's just not one, it's interconnected and we can start to listen and hear the language of our entire world. And so, I don't know, I just wanted to tell that story. Yes, I love that, it's so beautiful. And I think if we look, you know, so much of what we're suffering is this pandemic of like, just the loneliness, even before the pandemic pandemic of just loneliness and disconnection. Uh, and I think, yeah, like the trees, the ocean, the air, like we just, for the stories that we've told feel like we are alone, we are the individual, it's about my individual genius. And no, it's about all of us together and all the ways that we are being spoken to and through. And like you were saying, cultivating those ways of listening and knowing. We have the, we have the ability to do it.
So Adina, we have some rapid response questions for you to end our time together. And so really just take in the question and the first thing that comes to you. <sighs> okay, let's do hey. it. <laughs> so the first one is, um, what feels possible now that wasn't possible before? Mm. What's now and what's before and what is time and linearity? I don't know, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> I think with the virtual space, just feeling interconnection actually in a new and powerful way, in a way that is more accessible to folks um, and that can connect us across many distances in a way that's also more ecologically um, sound. So I think, yeah, feeling that interconnection in a way that also protects each of our own need for um, safety and being in our own spaces when those can be safe and connecting with other people. So that feels like a big mm. Mm, Beautiful. Um, what felt essential pre-pandemic that no longer feels essential? Oh my God, so many things. <laughs> um, traveling every other week across the country to lead and set up you know, huge studio sessions in really stuffy hotels for important <sighs> Jewish conferences and I think just like really taking it down and doing things that are much more manageable within our energy and ecologically. And um, yeah, there's so much I've been able to release and we as an organization and to, to that I really appreciate the, for all of the tragedy and awfulness of the pandemic, mm -hmm. all the things that felt like, well, we could never not do this. It's like, well, actually now you can't, so you're gonna find a new way. Totally, totally. And what is cracking open in this moment? Hmm. God, so much. We're at such a time of pain and rupture and um, dissolution and I think fear. Mm. And I think cracking open to holding on to like what, what can come on the other side of that and how to hold ourselves through that and how to release what needs to be released in this time so that we can get um, I think to the next level of human consciousness, actually. I mean, I think mm -hmm. on the big level, I think that's what we are sort of stumbling towards and that feels like it's cracking open for us. And in that there's all the pain of all that we have been suffering and inflicting on one another and that we've lost. So sort of mm -hmm. holding that and trying to um, stay connected to the, what can come on the other side. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I think that this is like this for me more than any other time of my life. And I don't know this, if this is sort of what you're feeling, but I am holding that acute fear and anxiety right along hope and um, beauty. And it's so distinct more than I've, I've had to hold it more than I've ever had to hold it before. I don't, I don't know if you all feel the same way, but there is this um, tension that is so obvious that I don't think was obvious before in quite the same way. And, you know, so I'm like walking around after a long day and, and, and reflecting and I'm like, oh, I'm so scared and fearful of this. And oh my gosh, this was so great that this happened today. Right. And, and it's just this very conflicting, hard, interesting, and also like um, very authentic yeah. way of living in the world um, mm -hmm. and just being able to name that. Mm -hmm. I will say, Adina, you are beautifully brilliant. 
And this, like this conversation exceeded like all um, of my expectations. And I like want to know you so badly and want to live in your town. And um, thank you so much for, for bringing your story and project into this space. And as Lily and Mandy and I have been talking about, and we so miss Mandy today, um, that, you know, we do this because we need it too. We like create these spaces and want to hear these stories because we actually need to be having these conversations also. Um, and so it feeds my heart. If it doesn't feed anybody else's heart in the world, <laughs> world, but it feeds our hearts, right, Lily? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so well, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to you both for, for having me and having this really beautiful conversation and getting to reflect on the work. I really appreciate it. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at JHLTB and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation, or become a patron on our Patreon account at patreon.com JHLTB to commit monthly to this project. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. We give thanks to Black Forest Community Church and the Tributary Fund of the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ for their ongoing support. We could not do this without all who support Jesus has left the building.